This is Dan Myler, host of the longest-running Dynasty Fantasy Football podcast in the industry, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Join me and my co-hosts, Ryan McDowell and Matt Price from DynastyLeagueFootball.com as we use 60-plus years of Dynasty experience to analyze news, walk through startup and team-building strategies, and highlight trade targets to keep you on top of your Dynasty League year-round. It's a different topic each week on the DLF Dynasty Podcast, but the common theme is always the same, helping you build the ultimate Dynasty roster. Join me, Dan Myler, along with Ryan McDowell and Matt Price, each week, year-round, for the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Hello. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard, at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts, ads. Ads would go here if I did ads. Um, this week I want to talk about uh, vacated targets a little bit, so brace yourself for that, but also about value in Dynasty and different ways of trying to acquire it. It's based on the conversation I had with uh, a fella named Todd. His Twitter name is actually, I'm Todd, trade for Noah Fant, which I agree with. I actually like that. I, li- I like that. Um, his uh, Twitter is at DynastySFlex. I talked with him on Twitter a bunch of times, but I got my Todds confused, and I kept calling him Todd from PA. Apologize for that, Todd. I don't know why I did that, but his at is Dynasty S Flex. Anyway, uh, I'm using that to bleed into two interesting wide receivers. I think we can try to acquire in Dynasty, um, looking for both value and points. I think they're interesting. See what you think. Do Sometimes pour cold water on heat When the mass not adding up You said I'm checking out I'm just fine Working to the ground Yeah, so before I get into it, I want to talk about something from DLF because they asked me to and it also might save you some money if you subscribe to DLF and so I thought that was pretty cool. Never never done an ad on this show because no one's ever offered me money and uh, still not been offered any money. But DLF is where I post all my articles and uh, they push this up to all the podcasts uh, that we do free and mention we may want to talk about it just in case uh, one of you listeners uh, want, is subscribed to DLF and, and you want to you want a deal so here it is uh, it's cyber week promo week thing it's it's Thanksgiving so everyone's doing sales either on Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving who knows but um, DLF is running their annual cyber week promotion for Black Friday and pretty much the whole week. Um, it's actually the biggest discount ever. Starting immediately after Thanksgiving and running all the way to Friday, December 3rd, you can get a full year of DLF Premium, which you get a full year every time you subscribe. It's not like the year is extra. That's just normal, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but you actually get 15% off uh, what it normally costs. Uh, that's $34.99 for the full year with industry-leading analysis. And also, I've got some things on there too. But you can also get the rankings, the ADP that I'm always talking about. And there's some really cool data tools on there that Addison and Tanho and the real nerd team over there have built. Uh, for quick lookup stuff, um, and I like reading a lot of those articles, especially the weekly stuff where I'm learning to get better at weekly uh, evaluation, where I'm more long-term off-season stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're interested in subscribing for DLF um, for this year, for next year, now is the best time to go do it. So, uh, over 30 analytical tools, the most comprehensive in- information dynasty trade analyzer. In the business, that was copy. That was literally part of the thing they sent me, obviously. But I actually do use, actually happen to use the trade analyzer a lot 
Probably for the same way you use any trade analyzer just to see, am I crazy for offering this? Is this too unfair? Or if a person asks me a question like, "How? what's this player's value? I'll literally go plug it in, plug them in next to a first, mid, early first, and just get a general idea of what consensus or most people would say. And then I know not where to go with that. I don't want to tell anyone that anything that's too crazy because sometimes my valuations are very different from most people's and so that it's actually a really nice just reference tool for value even if you're not searching for a specific trade uh, that wasn't part of the copy this is just obviously me rambling at this point but yeah if you want to subscribe for dlf this week is definitely the time to do it Soon as Thanksgiving ends, apparently from that Thursday all the way to the Friday, December 3rd, uh, you can get $15 off. So if you're if you're already subscribed or you're thinking about subscribing at any point, like now's probably the week to go check it out uh, and see what they have to offer and if you can fit it into your budget. This is the best time to do it. All right, um, so this week I got in some really interesting conversations and one annoying one that keep coming back, mainly about Baltimore Ravens and vacated targets. Don't want to get into it deep, deep, because I've talked about it way too much. I've published articles. Uh, I've shared articles that you only get know where they are if you're on the crossroads. With a, I've also wrote about it on DLF. As far as I know, am I an expert? No. I mean, it's 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 way too complicated for my silly little grind of mind. But I did was able to look at a few things that just make common sense, but don't turn out to be true in reality. At least in terms of can I get something right more often than I'm already getting it right by thinking about it? Is it really useful and important information? I really think so. It's one of the few areas there isn't like a million nerds and a million uh, jocks, I guess, with the opposite of nerd. I know that have already cracked it and are willing to sell you the code for the cheap promo code price of whatever. Uh, and also follow my Twitter account. I'm talking about it all the time, that kind of thing. Um, and so there's definitely there's definitely value in looking at it. Um, but I can't find the useful signal. Like Julio Jones is out this week, therefore X has this man of probability of happening, for example. Mainly because there are just too many real world uh, variables. I guess you'd call them, um, going in, especially on a week-to-week basis in general. And so throwing in a, a, an X factor of we've never seen these variables combined with this offense versus this defense with this exact structure, now minus this consistent feature that's been on the team for the last few weeks, being Julio Jones in this case. So what's going to happen now? Don't don't know. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, but there's surely information there. They, I mean, obviously... Your offense is different if you have Christian McCaffrey or Julio Jones or Antonio Barron or any particular player than if you don't. But the sum total of the research, there were some interesting findings that actually found something of a significant trend that I posted up on Patreon, and there's a lot more to it. But I think I can summarize why most people shouldn't value it the way it's thought of more often than not, i.e. Julio Jones is gone where are his four, literally had four targets the two previous weeks, by the way, um, are going to go. Now, mainly because those four targets represent different target shares, and four Julio Jones targets are an incredible valuable thing to a team. It's Julio Jones. They're not throwing him nothing targets. He's a, he, he's a pretty good player. I don't know if you've heard. Um, even in what's been a more limited season this year. So here it is. Uh, I think the offensive balance of a team changes based on who is on the field. I completely agree with that. Julio Jones, in fact, I would say that is very, very clear from any decent example, individual example, or a wider example, like an actual sample where you look at more than one example at once, because that's just what you're going to have to do to find a signal. I'm sorry. Um, so the, the, the offensive balance definitely changes. Well, definitely changes isn't the word. Um, the expectation, a reasonable expectation would be that the offensive balance of touches and where the valuable touches are going will change when a valuable player isn't on the field the next week or even the next season, because that's where most of my articles went. But... Now, that doesn't mean vacated targets don't matter. 
where it does, because Julio Jones, whatever the count is, four in this case, don't actually matter. You're not looking for a place to put four extra targets. You're not looking for a place to put an extra 14% target share, which is what his target share was in week seven. It was 20% before that. And that's partly because of the variance on a week-to-week basis. Look, a player has enough time finding his own dang targets if he's on the field two weeks in a row. Dan Arnold, literally this week, not a single target after being a top five targeted tight end of the last three or four weeks or so. Like, I don't know how we're going to find other players' targets when some weeks you have trouble finding your own. You know what I mean? And so my ultimate conclusion is... Don't go looking for targets that didn't happen because they couldn't have happened because they're in the future and that player isn't going to play in that game. The players on the field actually have an effect on the offensive balance of the game and also of that team in that game. So does the matchup, by the way, which throws a whole other bunch of variables in this. So does it matter? Yes. Does it matter if a player with a larger target share or more targets, yeah, I think it's reasonable to expect a larger change. Will it be that they pass half as much and therefore the target shares remain relatively stable and the extra targets are just three or four extra targets, as was in the case of Julio Jones week seven uh, or week eight when uh, Julio Jones wasn't available and so what was his name, Westbrook? Yeah, Nick Westbrook had three targets or will they just run it? 10 extra times or will they pass twice as much because there's actually a 50 50 proposition whether you pass twice as much or half as much uh, on a year-to-year basis and that seems to be true on a week-to-week basis too and instead of you know another player turning up with that large target share it's spread out over the offense and a few hip or a player here and there gets a significant number of targets that is or is not fantasy relevant based on their performance on those targets in that one game, that's a whole other bunch of variables there, where you can get nine targets and do literally nothing. You can get three targets and do wonderful, based on the type of targets you're getting. The offensive balance of the team changes when a player isn't available the following week or the following year. But there is nothing to tell us how that balance will change outside of a accurate, which, you know, some people are better or worse at being accurate at, predicting how an offense with these, this new combination of players will gel together. Essentially, the player who isn't on the team doesn't tell you anything about what's going to happen when he, they are not there. And so his targets or his role or his target share is entirely useless when trying to guess, essentially, because it's essentially a random variable. I can't find a signal to see find that one thing or the other or seven other things is more or less likely based on a certain number of targets or target share or a role play, a certain role on a team disappearing. Altering um, the reasoning of how an offense is going to change from something that actually functions, i.e. look at the players who are actually on the field and try to figure out how that works together, from something that literally doesn't function, look at the player who isn't going to be there and try to use that to guess what's going to happen, because that's literally the one thing I know won't tell you anything about what's actually going to happen does it change because they're not there yes it is interesting it does mean we should pay attention to it but i think that's part especially when uh, the troll tweets start coming in i denying that this player got more targets no the team is obviously different with different players on it or in this case e- even if it's just one player not being on it the point is that that player and their stats doesn't help you guess or explain or elucidate, eh, fancy nerd word, um, what's actually going to happen with that new offensive balance because only the players still on the team really matter uh, and the head coach and the opponent um, to how a team's performance and volume and offensive balance is going to be in any particular week. All right, that's it. Not going to vacate targets anymore. That's it. This week. Anyway, the other thing I want to talk about, I got into a conversation with at Todd, Todd at PA. Yeah, that's his Twitter. I talked to him before. He's a nice guy. He's interesting to talk football with. Um, but uh, and in the end, I don't honestly think he was telling me anything. I think he just wanted to talk. But I, uh, I wasn't even making a large statement. I said, I, sometimes I don't understand why Dynasty... Uh, won't trade second and thirds for players scoring points. And he was essentially trying to counter that. 
Um, and everything he said, again, I could admit to in the same way I can admit the offense, the offensive balance changes when a player's not there. That's not my point. It's that what's missing uh, doesn't tell you what's going to happen in the new offensive balance. Um, so we ended, I, everything he said I didn't disagree with. What I don't get is, and, and he essentially felt like there's too much content telling you to trade for points. And I don't quite understand that, but I I think he's right. It, like, if all your content, all your podcasts are telling you to trade your first-round pick for this, trade your first-round pick for that, then that's definitely wrong. We've talked about this before, about being really restrictive, because even if you have five in any particular year, I really think you think uh, should think of value or players to target as if you can really go after a, a very small number. Now, we can keep rotating players, but ultimately there's somewhat of a finite amount of equity. No, I'm not going to use fancy words. You, you can only revolve your roster so much. There's only so much value on any particular roster, so it's not like you can roll into all your elite players. You're not going to be able to stack up this offseason all three of your top favorite running backs. Um, A realistic approach to the dynasty is trying to be restrictive on the players that you want, which is why we so end up so often end up talking about value players, players that everyone else is low on. Despite there being no such thing as a decent sleeper anymore because everyone's aware of everything, you can find players that are falling at value. I found Juju Smith-Schuster. Did not work out, but we also found Debo and Marcus Brown the same way. So we don't want to dismiss value players just by making restrictive lists, which is where I brought out the ranked tiers of players I like and I'm trying to target and that I've put in the PA Howdy Ranks sheet on uh, uh, well, Google Sheets, but there's a link to it on Patreon as well, um, as, as, long as, as well as my Dynasty position ranks and stuff. So, where was I? Oh yeah, Todd from PA. I I definitely, um, what I took from that conversation with Todd was a few different things. One, it's true um, that you seem to hear more trade your pick for advice than keep your pick but I honestly don't think that's reflected in Dynasty play. And it's not just because of a quote-unquote in my leagues. It's because most content I read heavily values youth and picks. I mean, Jonathan Taylor has been the number one Dynasty running back for weeks. And this week, like, he put a full stop on it. Austin Eckler seemed to have slightly bested him on Sunday Night's Football just for the undrafted free agent lulls. I'm going to throw that out there. But top three, and I just named who I think is definitely going to be a core part of the top five dynasty wide receivers for most rankers, let alone content outlet, uh, uh, outlets this offseason, if not already. And that's Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and DK Metcalf, maybe AJ Brown and CD Lamb's going to be thrown in there a few times, like in my ranks, because I really think CD Lamb belongs there. But, like, the value of picks and youth is not missed on Dynasty players, even if we're hearing trade your top, trade your picks for this. Um, but I do think uh, Todd had an interesting point that um, we hear it a lot. And so I'm going to try and stop say, trying. It's an easy currency to describe value in, but I think it might be part of the problem. Like, how much is Mike Evans worth? Oh, a uh, first one and a half first round picks, right? It's an easy value reference, but it tends to lead us to think, well, you should be trying to trade your picks. Now, I trade my picks relatively easy compared to most dynasty players that I know. But there's definitely, like, like Todd said at the end of the conversation, there's multiple ways of playing and enjoying dynasty. And I definitely don't think everyone should try every move I've make because I'm not winning every single league every year so there's definitely no edge in that and also your league is different and the people in your league is different and so is your roster and so there's literally no value in me telling you to trade your picks like i would and which is again why i have always trying to lead lean on the process element of this is roughly how i'm thinking you have to adjust for your league right so i don't want to describe the value of players for a potential trade in picks as often as we tend to do anymore. And if you want to ask me a trade question, I mean, we do pretty much constant trade questions on that uh, Wednesday night show with Dynasty Outhouse or other guest I rope into it, um, where we talk about weekly Dynasty advice and takes. Um, 
come on there but i will i normally end up giving a similar type of answer which is it depends on your situation and where players are in your league as in literally which rosters they are on and so instead i try to encourage players to do the same process um, that i've outlined here on the crossroad which is, is make your own elite list not my elite list but here it is if you want an idea of what i'm talking about but by all means definitely make your own because you want to play your own team for a start and i get things wrong um, and also you could create your own types of lists like these are the players i'm going to go for if i'm losing or if i'm winning um, and i know homework sucks and you don't actually have to write it down at if you don't want to, but it is a good way to start thinking about trades instead of how many picks do I have to give or get for a particular player. That's an interesting valuation method, but I think it overly emphasizes this idea of trading your picks. Honestly, you should be much more timid about trading picks in general than we probably in content lead people to believe in season. If you're trying to win, I maintain trade your picks for wins, definitely. But in having that conversation, we might sweep up a whole bunch of players that if I was looking at that team and their roster, I would feel confident that I could win or that you could win. But I wouldn't feel like you definitely have to gamble or not so much gamble, trade your picks for it. Um, yeah, uh, there is a way of trading picks by I mean, uh for uh for value in terms of players because this is the, th the other thing i ended up talking about tob with most of our content emphasizes that value is picks and youth and production is old age um, and instead uh in my opinion both players and picks have value and we spend so much time talking about the value of picks and youth and we forget that players can hold value and it changes and fluctuates through the year. Your older players right now have a different set of value to different teams in your league. And so it's all contextual. It's all based on your league, your rosters and how the rosters in your league are built. And so most of this generic advice about who to trade for, who not to trade for tends to hit wrong and might lead you to trade picks overly easily or trade picks um overly or overly timidly perhaps um compared to necessarily what someone else might do or what the person writing or producing that content necessarily means i try and be as clear as i can i know it's hard to believe um about when and where and how i would value players but for specific trade advice like i'm gonna go give them all my first round picks for Najee harris i mean yeah you, Najee harris is definitely giving me a top three dynasty running back but who else is on your roster is there anything else you could offer is there anything you can offer with one first round pick is the running back definitely where you want to put all that value so on and so forth most moves especially in terms of trading picks or trading players should always have an eye on both of the halves of that coin you want value but also you want production if you're winning you can try to do both um by buying players knowing uh, that players value declines while picks plant value increases um in the same way i think it's interesting to think about young players um as a versus old players as potential dynasty outputs a few weeks ago a value climbers and um, a few weeks ago i was literally in an argument they were mad it felt like they were mad maybe i'm reading it wrong sometimes people think i'm mad on twitter and i literally never am so i could be wrong but they seem a little mad because i suggested that it was literally crazy not to trade a first round pick for brandon Ayuk. and their whole point was exactly what i just said picks are valuable your situation matters and we trade our picks too easily and after talking to todd i kind of understand where they're coming from a little more now my counter to that was brandon Ayuk is young he's healthy he's been good previously for a sustained period of time i think we're judging brandon Ayuk based on our take that we thought debo samuel wouldn't be the lead receiver or the lead volume getter and um, based on this week at least um over Debo Samuel because he's bigger and taller and fits our idea of what a alpha wide receiver is meant to be better and we kind of won that bet but that doesn't mean the positives that were for Brandon Ayuk weren't there it's just we misread what that offensive balance would look like the player didn't get worse 
and he's still young and still big and still has a significant stretch of games in the NFL where he proved he could put it all together into being a good NFL wide receiver on a on a Shanahan team. I don't know if that's a good or a bad team at this point, to be perfectly honest with you, but on Shanahan's team. So, yeah. And the other part, talking with them and trying to find a way to express why I thought that there was value there and it was worth the value of a first-round pick was something similar to what I said for Todd, is that both directions have risk because sometimes you get Jamar Chase. And if you trade your second and thirds, one of Todd's point was those, those things are more easy to trade up into like a Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson because you can't get them for seconds and thirds but you can package them with things and try to go get that I would I think that's a little bit of a stretch I don't think second round pick was going to move you up if you're on the clock and they have Chase in their lap like Chase was very clearly a buy but you could definitely end up doing that and getting Nikhil Harry sometimes where the wide receiver one was a little softer that year even though I definitely fell for it by the way I would have made that trade and suffered for it. So, uh, and the thing I was talking about with those folks who didn't think Brandon Nuke was worth a first for sure anymore was that he is healthy and playing right now. And dynasty value, especially in season, fluctuates a lot. And he was getting decent volume slowly um, in decent spots. And there was no reason to think the ability had gone anywhere, especially since he hadn't, quote-unquote, got old and lost it. Which, you know, also... I don't really think it's a thing as much as we think it is for wide receivers. But anyway, so um, something I tried tried pitching them was that he has something like 26 games between now and the end of the first rookie season of whoever you draft in the first round if you trade for a pick for him to have a really good game or a really good stretch of games and become worth more than a first round pick and therefore already be a successful trade. And I think that's an interesting way of thinking about younger players that are underperforming, but we have some sample of them being decent, or we believed in them recently. Now, again, your list should look different than mine, um, and we should make our own players, but you probably have a pretty good sense of where I'm at um, with who I like, who is young, and who has, I think, a track record. Juju, I've just mentioned, could be one, but he's not showing positive trends this year. It's just bad, uh, which is sad. But I still think, given his age given the time frame we have and a previous history of being good in the NFL, there's more than enough room there for him to have a decent stretch of games or a good season or just go on to have a full-blown good career from this point on that I'm not upset to have acquired him and most of my teams for the value he's trading at this offseason. That was the flaw. That's why I said I was so confident in doing it uh, last offseason because this is the absolute flaw, that I still have a lot of hope that his value can go up in the future. And again, notice that the youth has value here. We usually think of youth as they're going to be playing this well for years. Instead, you can also think about it as a player having youth and he's good and still has a role on a team. So his fantasy value and outlook could turn around game by game by game, especially if they're playing. So two players right now that kind of fit that description, a history of being good, still have a decent role one i have to uh, i have to squint a little bit more to see it to be fair but the other one for sure does and we have a lot of quick games with he now and the end of next season the first the end of the first year of whoever we draft in the first round next year remember most aren't jamar chase and rondell moore for example is having a, so- a really solid rookie season even with an ADA of like minus one which is a little weird but elijah mitchell his overall season numbers aren't going to be look look good, but he's had four games here where he's really put things together. Um, so those are the type of positive rookie seasons we should be expecting. Not Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, just, you know, PSA. So between now and the end of next season, we have that number of games for some players that fit the Brandon Ayuk mold to do well. Now that first round pick could be Elijah Moore, it could be Rondell Moore, it could be Nikhil Harry. It could be Jamar Chase. That's true, but there are risks in either direction. So you have to look at your roster, look at the team that currently has any player that you like or the two that I'm going to mention that I think are interesting. In the one league I've looked at to do this, the teams they are on, I 
can't see a good trade for us going. Just full disclosure, I haven't found a way of trading for these players in my dynasty leagues, even though I'm on losing rosters who can give up things for players that aren't necessarily performing in, a, in fantasy right now. Just playing on this, there are lots of games between now and the end of next year, and we have this past record. And this is also partly because I already have Juju on every team, so he's not one of them. All right, so now just some notes on two young wide receivers that are currently falling or have fallen in dynasty value that I think are very much worth looking for in your leagues and seeing if there's a potential trade for you and that team. Now, again, you have to give up things that are good that other teams want, so a lot depends on what's on your roster as well. If you've already traded all your first-round picks, I definitely think these two players are interesting to acquire because, one, I think they can start scoring points anytime between now and the end of next season, so they might be potentially upswing players for this year, even if you've got a winning roster, especially since your pick is either gone or it's going to be a lower first-round pick anyway, it's interesting to try and acquire players without thinking of picks and, and yet still have this value element on them. I think so. Again, it depends on your roster, it depends on your league, but I definitely think they're worth looking up. Um, on the other side of it, even if they don't start producing this year, you have the backup Juju Smith-Schuster plan, which is they're still young, they still have a history of being good in the NFL, and there are a lot of games between now and when both of those things, or one of those things, is no longer true, and the history is just in the past. Say, and Alan Robinson, his history is starting to become the past. Uh, Odo Beckham, his history is starting to become the past. And yet still, people will trade for them when positive situations or potential positive situations come along. And that's the other part of somehow, sometimes you can trade for players looking for value and the added bonus of you might get production as well. I think they're interested. I I find myself going that way more often than Dynasty. So I'm not going to tell you, trade your first round pick for these players. I'm saying go see if there is potentially a trade that makes sense for your team, doesn't give up too much for the future, doesn't give up too much for now, go look, see where they're at, see where that team is at, because I think they're really interesting. Now, the first player um, is actually the hardest one to make the case for, and so maybe you should be a little less certain of trading for them, so I'll do them first. Um, And that's going to be Cortland Sutton. Now, I've done some of the, I've mentioned some of the stuff I'm going to mention right now about Cortland Sutton on Twitter, and I think I mentioned it a little bit last week on the Crossroads. Honestly, can't remember. Uh, that one's a little bit of a blur, to be honest with you. So, I uh, don't know why I went all deep voice there. But uh, Cortland Sutton is currently averaging uh, 308, or he is up until this weekend, and this weekend they're on by, and so nothing can happen between now and next, um, the time you hear this episode, so that's great. But um, 308 yards per touchdown. As I said in Twitter, and I said in this podcast before, the average lies, but the average t- yards per touchdown, the number of yards a player accrues before they score a touchdown at the wide receiver position, is pretty consistently, over the last three years, or even over the last ten, to be honest, around 170 yards per touchdown. Now, that's just taking every player into account that gets uh, that plays at least eight games and gets at least three touches a game on average. And so they're actually players that are playing, in other words. Now, players vary around their own average. Uh, Devontae Adams, for example, average yards per touchdown is a lot lower than most, but this year it's a lot higher because actually everyone kind of on the whole regresses towards that 170 number. Not always, um, and specifically not within a season necessarily, but they do regress towards that number at least somewhat, um, whether it's up or down, because there's no such thing as negative regression. So currently, Colin Sutton is scoring half as many touchdowns, essentially, as he should be scoring, given the number of yards he's gotten. Because 170 is almost half of 308. Not really. That's really 340, Pete. You're around 38 yards off. But you, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's exceedingly high. Now, the average lies in some other ways, because within an individual season... The average for a position of fantasy-relevant players can vary anywhere from, like, 50 yards per touchdown all the way up to 300. So, in that way, Cortland Sutton is well within the mean um, of the position in a given year. 
But by the end of last year, there were only about three players averaging 300 yards or more per touchdown. One of them was DJ Moore, and with that played eight games and had three touches a season. Um, another one was Robbie Anderson. They all like like touchdown regression candidates. That's where they come from. So 300 is exceptionally high, and you wouldn't expect many players to finish the season at 300 yards per touchdown. In other words, Colin Sutton should be scoring more touchdowns per yard. Now, one thing that can happen, as I've explained with regression before, is your opportunity drops off. If you stop getting so many yards, then you don't have to keep up the touchdown rate and to make this a fantasy-relevant issue. But I do think, the reason I was looking at it is because it potentially means... Um, that Colin Sutton is underperforming his role right now, which means he still has the role, but the fantasy points aren't there. And since over the last three weeks, the value, the touches on the team heavily swung towards the running back position, but Jerry Judy maintained and came back to a large share of targets. Right now, through this three-game sample, it feels like Colton Sutton lost his targets to Jerry Judy, when in fact the whole position outside of Jerry Judy lost touches overall, and it swung towards running backs, which could be a matchup, a small sample trap. Now, do I think this means that Cortland Sutton is better than Jerry Judy for real? No, I actually think this probably fully indicates that Jerry Judy is the one, because he's the one who maintained volume through that three-game sample, even though he came back to it. He was actually injured through some of that sample. I think Jerry Judy is clearly the one. He's also a slightly lower ADOT player. And so the balance of this offense is slightly different to other teams that have three heavy used receiving options. In this case, you've got Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Tim Patrick, and Noah Fant. I like to throw Tim Patrick in there because he's Tim Patrick, and he just got extended and he's undrafted, and actually pretty good, but he definitely outkicks his coverage. Like pretty much every game. His touchdown rate is way too high, for example. But anyway... So I traded a third for Tim Patrick, just throwing it out there because I like having Tim Patrick. Um, he's a great fill-in. He's not necessarily a target if for a winning team, but I like rostering Tim Patrick, so I do that kind of thing. So there you go. I think he's good. I think he'll score points from in other games as well. I don't think he's disappearing. I don't think. I also don't think he's going to call him again. Adam Thielen, um, which is now a verb, by the way. But I do think he's good. Anyway, so Jared Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Noah Fant. You could compare it to Mari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. And um, who's, who's, who's that other fella? There you go, the tight end now. Ezekiel Elliott, why not? Uh, we'll go to the running back position. You could also compare it um, to Minnesota. Um, they have two distinct uh, and very strong receiving options. Or even t uh, Cincinnati, who have three proven good players, which might even be a better comparison. The difference is Jerry Judy's ADOT is notably lower than all the ones in those other offenses apart from Tyler Boyd he has a similar role to Tyler Boyd I'm not saying he's Tyler Boyd he's an he's clearly a very good player Tyler Boyd is as well but and Jerry is young and exciting and could well Jarvis Landry his way into a top 12 season for sure so I think the signal is that Jerry Judy is a one but Colton Sutton's loss of role over the last three games especially since the value of his touches like his number of targets shrank but the value per touch actually shot through the rough roof the average expected points per touch is like 1.7 for the wide receiver position and again that's adjusted for players actually getting significant volume Cortland Sutton's over the last two weeks has been like 2.4. Again, almost twice. So what that essentially means is where he's getting the ball is very valuable for fantasy. He's just not getting the ball a lot, which, again, seems to indicate to me that the team hasn't faded Cortland Sutton over these last three games. It's just that he's the two, and his position is more prone to variance in terms of volume than Jerry Judy's. All right, that's it. I mean, I, I could keep... Obviously, I find this interesting, and I can keep talking about that, and I am... I, I'm nasal gazing, gazing. I'm peering at eggshells, trying to come up with patterns. Why did eggshells come into this? I don't know. There's there's a saying with eggshells about nasal gazing or something. But anyway, so I am building a narrative here for sure. But Cortland Sutton's second season, when he finally outproduced Tim Patrick, definitely seemed to indicate, like Brandon Ayuk's first season did, that this is a player capable of performing in this league physically 
and uh, emotionally, I don't know, in terms of competing with corners and, and everything else. He can translate what he did in college to the NFL, which seems to be one of the X factors of why players produce. Uh, Nicky Harry, for example, clearly could at least has not yet been able to do that. All right, so this to me is a fairly good comparison to Brandon Ayuk early season, but with more volume. Anyway, I just want to throw it out there. Um, his overall performance metrics, by the way, are pretty good this year. Colin Sutton's lost volume. He's definitely not the one in terms of volume. I, again, it's not alpha for me. I don't think in necessarily in terms of those, but I do think the wide receiver too, and Sutton has a slightly higher A dot, which is partly where the value of his touches are coming from. There are more air yards under the ball when it's traveling towards him, for example. But is fantasy relevant? He's got a 13%... Um, 13.4% share of the expected points, and not, and not everyone likes expected points, um, because it seems weird and foreign, so let's put it in uh, terms we're more familiar with, let's look for one, uh, here's a 19% target share, which is very healthy for a wide receiver 2, um, in terms of overall volume for the team. And again, Jerry Judy's overall volume per game is pretty similar to Colton Sutton. It's only when you read the context of the offense, it seems pretty clear Judy's the one. And so, again, I think that that's some evidence that my narrative uh, navel-gazing weave of a story here isn't entirely fictional here because it seems to be borne out that this is a significant uh, share of the offense. It's just that Jerry Judy's is more stable. Um... So he's got a 90% target share. The one I was looking for, because everyone's comfortable with it, and we're barreling towards the offseason. Yeah, there it is. Uh, I'm calculating opportunity score. He's also got a 19% dominator rating. Tim Patrick is 24, because dominator rating is overly influenced by touchdowns. But, again, his role in this offense as a receiver, despite it being a less powerful receiving offense than we would like it to be, is very significant. It's above average, it's just it's not just he's the other wide receiver there. And um, Tim Patrick looks better, and it, I would say it looks better um, than him, mainly because of an outsized touchdown ratio, which could be extra red zone usage. But again, expected points being heavily per touch for Colin Sutton seems to indicate that he's getting touchdown potential uh, opportunity as well, which would really bring in uh, red zone touches again because that was useful. Anyway, his yards per snap is around 1.1. That's corollary to yards per route run. Yards per snaps being, you know, when you run routes, but it's not adjusted for blocking snaps and other things like that. Jerry Judy's is 1.4, which is exceptional for a player with a lower A dot as well. His yards per team attempt, which I find very predictable and sticky, is over one yard per team attempt. Now, 1.7 is what I have liked to see for the average um, in terms of off-season look um, uh, at the number, but we tend to adjust per games played and some other things that I'm not doing for the in-season stat. And I can say, well, uh, Jerry Judy's got less, uh, like 0.98 yards per team attempt, for example. But it's also fairly heavily volume-dependent, so yards per attempt is that team attempt is actually a relatively tricky stat to read, and I don't think I have the tenacity to do that for you right now in the crossroads. Enough to say that Colton Sutton's performance on a team level relative to his volume has actually been pretty decent. It compares well, much like his yards per snap number, to other wide receivers that we consider to be valuable. It's also a better dominator rating, and it's a better yards per snap and a yards per team attempt number than Jacoby Myers, who we've been expecting touchdown regression for, and we did finally get a touchdown for weeks and so I think um, he's not getting as much noise as his role and the value of his touches is getting right now and the fact we've got that second season of his in the bag in the tank that's not past history but it's actually relatively a recent memory of what Colton Sutton's able to do and the fact he's only in his fourth season which is really not that far in for a NFL wide receiver makes him a potential player that we can roster, try to trade for, and hope there are enough games between now and the end of the next season that his dynasty value jumps back up. The other one, and it's especially the other wide receiver that I noted for the exact same reasons, is actually even more positive because he hasn't had this recent drop in his overall targets, target numbers, um, and also he just had a monster game this week, but still failed to score a touchdown even with the return of Ben Roethlisberger. That's right, it's Juju's mission. No, it's actually Chase Claypool. 
big wide receivers that I was arguing for this offseason, no one likes anymore. But interestingly enough, both Brandon Ayuk, whose value is turning up, and Chase Claypool have maintained significant role. Now, Brandon Ayuk has a 13% expected point share per game. Deontay Johnson's at like 19%. Just for comparison to Judy and Sutton, Deontay's off the freaking charts. I really think I should move him up in dynasty ranks. It's been a really impressive year for him, even in this terrible offense. But anyway, um, Claypool's offensive share is around the same as Sutton's uh, and Jared Judy's, around 13% of the Tome's total expected points. He also has an above-average yards per attempt number, uh, yards per team attempt, and yards per snap. I'm going to look over to... because I can't remember what that was. Dang it. Um, yeah, his yards per team attempt is almost exactly the same as Cortland Sutton at 1.08. His yards per snap is at 1.3, which is actually really good. His ADOT is higher than Jerry Judy's, but it's very comparable to Cortland Sutton. He's actually performing pretty well, and... Um, his dominator ratings are 18%. He's less of a, a, a dominator in terms of touchdowns and receiving yards on this offense. But again, that's partly because Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson are doing so much of the work on this in this particular scheme. Um, Chase Claypool's yards per touchdown is at 484 yards per touchdown. This week, he, last time I looked, he had 89 receiving yards. And I saw a tweet by John Bosch, which makes me think something went wrong at the end of a play and it looked like Chase Claypool should have scored a touchdown, but didn't, which means that number's only going to grow. I don't think that is not going to maintain. Even though a few players every year with significant touches end up with over 300 yards per touchdown as their finishing number, they never regress back down further in that season. I don't think 484 is keeping up. And so I think Chase Claypool, especially since he's just had a good game, but he didn't catch that touchdown. Deontay Johnson still had a monster game. Ben Roethlisberger is still apparently in the waning of his career. Um, I roster Juju everywhere, but I definitely think Chase Claypool should be on this list as someone you should go check out in your league, see what team he's on, if they're competing, if they're losing start up a, uh, a potential trade conversation with them just to see where they're at on Claypool. Now, and again, I'm not saying throw your first at Claypool or Sutton. I think that's definitely viable, but that first is only going to accrue in value, and there is a decent potential, because there are risks in both directions, that Cortland Sutton and Chase Claypool lose value from here on out. But based on what they've done in the league so far, I think they're actually going to continue to have significant role and perform fairly well on it, and every game that happens, like Chase Claypool this week, you could see them have a good game and immediately your trade looks positive. Not that you can immediately trade them away. That's not necessarily the move. Um, but you can immediately see uh, production value and see their dynasty value shoot up, which means you could do something else. Uh, like package them with something else to get an even better receiver that you like even more, like a Clay, like a Chase or a Jefferson or a CD Lamb, or you could just roster them and continue to hope that they maintain a higher level of value. Not telling you what to do from here on out or what to send, because it really does depend on your league situation. If you're competing, I think they're interesting. If you're not competing, I think they're interesting because of their youth. But what you should or shouldn't trade really comes down to what your roster and your league looks like. Don't necessarily throw picks at them, <coughs> pardon me, but definitely investigate a potential trade that would work for your team and would work in that league to maintain your team's value with the potential upside of a Chase Claypool and a Cortland Sutton, just in case of people rostering them are somewhat less, a little bit more pessimistic than uh, I or perhaps you are on their future outlook. Because... While a pick will continue to incur in value, and that is very important, and maybe maybe I don't mention it as much. If Todd and others are feeling like they're always being told to sell picks, and I'm being being feel like I'm being told always to trade for picks, the truth is probably in the middle, which means I should probably do a little bit more of both. So your picks have value, for sure. And it is important that that pick will slowly become more valuable as the draft gets closer. And that's Garrett, that's basically guaranteed uh, everyone's league mileage differs but that is important don't throw it away casually for sure even though i might do it a little too casually sometimes but um if you explore it that's what i'm saying don't necessarily throw your first round pick but maybe think about exploring players to find potential value 
not just picks. Because players can change their value on a game-by-game basis, especially in-season. And if they don't, especially if you choose the right ones, or choose ones in certain situations, in that they're fairly early on in their career, um, and they have ancillary factors or surrounding factors that you really like. Personally, I like a player that's done well in the league before over a consistently long period of time. Maybe you like BMI or their athletic scores still, because you know that that can matter. Cordero Patterson, for example, in their future. Um. Anyway, that's it. I've I've been talking too long. Uh. Want to talk about it more? I can see, uh, come talk to me on that Wednesday podcast, live streams to YouTube or Twitch, or on Patreon. The Discord is lit. I, I meant to mention about seven different people from the Discord because they've owned and held me to accountable to so many takes this offseason, and I'd be really interested to see what they say this week. After, because actually they do actually have a podcast. I appreciate them for it. Um, about uh, the stuff that I've said here today. And with that, I don't know why I'm ending it like I did a speech or something. Anyway, I think Claypool and Sutton are interesting. I think you should explore where they're at in the leagues. Get back to me if you have different thoughts. Or if you have different players on that kind of list, or a player who might increase in value, but also, even if they don't, you think they could be long-term bets, even though they're not picks. They they could come at a discount, because players discount... I think uh, fantasy players sometimes discount players even though they could have that same upside as a draft pick. Both directions have risk, and it's all about the trade at the end of the day. Anyway, I'm getting out of here. Let me know what you think, as always, at PA Howdy on Twitter or any of the other things I just mentioned. And, uh, yeah, DLF is cheaper this week if you want to check it out. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving and uh, other stuff. Yay, we did it. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.